Hello, and welcome back to the From Grief to Greatness podcast. I am Gerard, and I am here with Christy and John. Hi, I'm Christy. Hi, I'm John. So today we've got a pretty interesting uh, topic for you. What we're going to get into today is uh, famous people who have endured great suffering that inspire us. And uh, we're being very specific about this, that these are people who have gone through more than the average amount of suffering that a a person can go through. So it's not just a basic uh, famous people that inspire us type of a list. So what we're going to do is take turns and uh, I'm going to get things started. Uh, First, I have a little honorable mentions list that I'm going to read real fast. I've got Nelson Mandela, Viktor Frankl, Frederick Douglass. And Candy Leitner, who is the woman who founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving. So we, are each, uh, we each have one person that we've chosen to go into detail about. So I'm going to get things started here. So my person is Wangari Matai. She's not a household name, but she should be. Wangari Matai was a Kenyan woman who lived from 1940 to 2011 as a social, environmental, and political activist. She was a powerhouse of a woman, and she's got a long list of accomplishments and achievements. So in 1977, uh, she founded the Green Belt Movement, which is an environmental, non-governmental organization that's focused on the planting of trees, environmental conservation, and women's rights. Uh, the Green Belt Movement uh, has uh, helped uh, to profoundly improve the lives of Kenyan women and all Kenyans through education, uh, food security, and income, and rights. Uh, She had stood up to uh, then-dictator Daniel Moy, uh, which led to the first democratic elections in Kenya. She mobilized Kenyans, uh, particularly women, to plant more than 30 million trees and inspired the United Nations to launch a campaign that has led to the planting of 11 billion trees worldwide. More than 900,000 Kenyan women benefited from her tree planting campaign by selling seedlings for uh, reforestation. This is only the beginning. Uh, She was the uh, first Eastern African female scholar to hold a doctorate, the first female professor ever in her home country of Kenya, and the first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm. Uh, She had held uh, a master's degree in biology, and uh, her her, uh, PhD was in veterinary anatomy. So some other awards that she has received are the Right Livelihood Award, the Goldman Environmental Prize, the Edinburgh Medal, Global Environment Award, the World Citizenship Award, the Indira Gandhi Prize, the NAACP Image Award, and a Lifetime Achievement Award for her long-term commitment towards environmental protection. She was elected to Kenya's National Assembly in 2002 and in 2003 was appointed Assistant Minister of Environment, Natural Resources, and Wildlife. Well, there's so much more, but it would take all day to tell you. And as if this wasn't impressive enough just hearing what you've heard so far, Let's now get into what she's had to endure. So in 1979, after a pretty long separation from her husband, she filed uh, for divorce. In court, her husband accused her of adultery with another member of parliament and said it caused his high blood pressure. Mm. (laughs) So the judge ruled in his favor. And in an interview with uh, Ms. Matai, uh, she referred to uh, the judge as incompetent and corrupt He charged her with contempt of court. She was found guilty and sentenced to six months in jail. Oh, my God. Just for what she said. So in 1982, uh, the parliamentary seat representing her uh, home region of Nyeri was open, and she decided to campaign for the seat. So as required by law, 
she resigned her position with the University of Nairobi so she could campaign. The courts uh, decided that she was ineligible to run because she had not re-registered to vote in the last presidential election in 1979. So she believed this to be false and illegal, and she brought the matter to court. So the court was to meet at 9 a.m., and if she received the favorable ruling, she was required to present her candidacy papers in Nyeri by 3 o'clock that day. The judge disqualified her from running on a technicality. Now get this. When she requested her job back, she was denied. And since she lived in university housing and was now no longer a staff member, she was evicted. Oh my so in the latter half of the 80s, uh, the Kenyan government really started to come down against her and the Greenbelt movement. It was a single party regime that opposed many of the movements and positions uh, regarding democratic rights. And they had even invoked a colonial era law prohibiting groups of more than nine people from meeting without a government license. In 1988, the Greenbelt movement carried out pro-democracy activities like registering voters for the election and pressing for constitutional reform and freedom of expression. And uh, according to Ms. Matai, the government carried out electoral fraud in the, in the elections to maintain power. So now in January of 1992, she became aware that she was among the list of pro-democracy activists that were targeted for assassination. So she barricaded herself in her home, but she was forcefully arrested by the police and charged with spreading malicious rumors about the government. So now oh, she's out on wow. bail. And it's now February in 1992, and the Greenbelt movement had lent its support to the mothers of political prisoners, with uh, Ms. Matai and others taking part in a hunger strike in Uhuru Park, uh, which they referred to as Freedom Corner. She was criticized and yet again denounced by President Moy, being called a mad woman and a threat to the order and security of the country. And the government forcibly dispersed the demonstrators through violence. She was knocked unconscious had to be hospitalized, and she fell into a coma. Thankfully, she recovered. So this relentless woman, who had the strength of a thousand, just plowed ahead through all these obstacles, numerous arrests, death threats, government corruption, fraud, violence, government-incited uh, ethnic clashes throughout Kenya, but none of it was enough to stop her, because her motivation never wavered and her passion never waned it actually gained her great attention around the world. And in 2006, then Illinois Senator Barack Obama met with her and together they planted a tree at Uhuru Park in Nairobi. So in 2015, uh, now president, uh, Barack Obama had this to say about Professor Matai. Kenya continues to carve out a distinct place among the nations. The country is a leader in conservation following in the footprints of Wangari Matai. So I will close with the wise words of the great Professor Matai. Today, we are faced with a challenge that calls for a shift in our thinking so that humanity stops threatening its life support system. We are called to assist the earth to heal her wounds and in the process, heal our own. Indeed, to embrace the whole of creation in all its diversity, beauty, and wonder. Recognizing that sustainable development, democracy, and peace are indivisible is an idea whose time has come. So I thank Wangari Matai for all the great things that she has contributed to this world. I am greatly appreciative of her. I stand in great admiration of her. And so that's, uh, that's my person for today. 
And so now we are going to move on to Christy's uh, presentation of her person. Hi, that was, that's amazing. Some woman. Oh, that my was God. excellent. May yeah. I ask you how you even, how did you discover her? Uh, through a book that I was reading about Jane Goodall. She oh. mentioned Wangari Matai, and I was like, what? And she said all these great things about her. Mm -hmm. And I said, I just have to know who she is. And I started reading about her, and I was mm -hmm. just blown away. Rightfully so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so mine might be a little different from yours. Okay, good. Um, so as far as our honorable mentions, mm -hmm. mine would be Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. who had a pretty tough life, if you know anything about her, mm -hmm. and Karen Carpenter, who mm -hmm. has a very, very special place in my heart. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so my person of choosing is the real, iconic, rock and roll icon mm -hmm. star, Stevie Nicks. Mm -hmm. um, so... She, she has been through a lot, not exact, not anything near, it's a whole different mm -hmm. thing. Okay. Albeit a lot of it was self-induced and then some of it wasn't, but <clears throat> she is really an amazing person. Um, so in 19, actually 1968, she and Lindsay Buckingham, who I'm sure you guys know, were both in Fleetwood Mac, were solo. They were in a different band together. And um, they actually opened a few times for Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. Mm. Um, <clears throat> this is before they were, you know, famous or anything. Mm -hmm. And then I, uh, from what I gathered, what happened was the singer from Fleetwood Mac left, and then they came in. And... They came in and made the second album of the band Fleetwood Mac, which ultimately, you know, hit the charts, became number one um, for, I believe, like 30, 32 weeks, something wow. like that. Yeah. And that was in 75. Mm. Um, and she actually won a Grammy Award for Best Album of the Year, Rumors. Um, and she did write herself a couple of songs and and keep in mind i mean back then she was like in her 20s but anyway um she did write that song rhiannon mm -hmm. and dreams all by herself um she did win um yeah so she won the grammy for for best album of the year and then in 2003 she was uh, entered into the rock and roll hall of fame she got the Grammy Hall of Fame award. Um, and then also in 1998 with Fleetwood Mac, she was entered into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then again in 2019 as a solo artist. So not only is she the only woman to be entered into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, she was entered twice. Right. Just saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think twice. that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, um, let's start with the beginning. Mm -hmm. So Fleetwood Mac, um, obviously she was with them probably 
you know, maybe close to 10 years while she still stayed with Fleetwood Mac, but also began her solo career. So she was kind of juggling both. Um, but with the band, there was a lot of cocaine abuse. Um, and this went on for years and years. Um, she had, you know, anxiety issues of, of when she would get right before she would go on stage and, and felt kind of nervous, like so nervous that she's like jumping up and down, pacing, like just, you know, almost coming out of her skin. Ironically, I know, and then she did the cocaine, but it gave her that confidence and um, energy that she needed to perform the way she wanted to. Um, and she is a good performer, I have to admit. But anyway, she, this went on for years and she finally realized that it had gotten to a point where she couldn't really do anything without taking the drug first. Oh, I can't get out of bed unless I have some cocaine. Oh, gotta go shopping? Let's do some cocaine. Like everything. And she said that she's the kind of person that doesn't like to be told what to do. So I think when she realized that it was controlling her, she was like, oh, no, no. Okay. And not to mention, she had gone to the doctor, burned a hole in her nose from all of the years of abuse, which, you know, as a singer, that's, that could be detrimental to Mm -hmm. your career. And he flat out told her, if you do it one more time, there is a distinct possibility that you could, you know, have a brain hemorrhage and die. Okay. So we're not only talking about a very, you know, successful career, Mm -hmm. the possibility of losing it. I mean, this is her life. Mm. Even with that advice and information under her belt, she continued. And then shortly thereafter, in 86, it was the last time she ever did it right before a performance. Right after the performance, she went straight to, what is it, Betty Ford? Oh, the Betty Ford Clinic. Right, I heard about that. Yes, checked herself in, Mm -hmm. stayed there for about, you know, 45 days, and um, to get off of it and hasn't done it since. So when she got out, you know, um, that's not something, I mean, to be honest with you, it, it takes only because I've, I've read up on it. It takes 30 days for that drug to get out of your blood, oh. out of your system. So it's not like an easy thing, especially with the, the copious amounts that she was doing. Mm. That's not easy. That's, that's just pure addiction right there. Yeah, it's okay. Terrible. So, but good for her for finally t- taking that step to do that's big. Mm-hmm. So then she decided she would go to a um, psychiatrist just to kind of check in and make sure, you know, everything's going as it's supposed to. And she was having issues with uh, anxiety, not being able to sleep, that kind of thing. So they actually, the, the doctor prescribed her um, to help her with sleeping a, 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 a drug called clonopin. And she stated that this psychiatric drug that was prescribed to her by a doctor slash is legal actually messed her life up worse than the cocaine ever did. Oh, wow. She became addicted. 
Um, apparently on the bottle, it says take as needed. Ugh. It doesn't say like take one tablet upon going Ugh. to sleep as needed. Well, she got to a point where she was like, oh, you know, every couple hours I need it. So needless to say, she ended up feeling like a zombie, feeling nothing, losing any type of, you know, inspiration, desire, um, motivation, empathy, compassion. Like she felt like she cared about nothing. She felt like she was just existing. This is a psychiatric drug. Yeah. So my, just a little teeny interjection, if you ever feel that way when you're taking a med, call your doctor right away or change doctors and just get help because that's not normal. She suffered for eight years on this drug and actually ended up one day looking in the mirror and saying to herself, I don't know who you are and checked herself into a hospital and stayed there for about 50 days to come off of the drug. Okay. Yeah. Um, and she said it was terrible. Like as she's coming off of it, she said it's the most horrible, terrible drug ever. Um, if it's a benzo, benzo, uh, yeah, diazepam, yeah, which I've heard are extremely addictive. Um, so yeah, it took her, you know, a while to get off of it. And then she finally got out of the hospital. And then of course, you know, with age, we all have different aches and pains. And she went through a lot of like leg pains, achiness, um, things that she didn't feel before that she's having to deal with. And of course your first instinct is, oh, let me take something to get rid of it. Mm. She has not, she will not. Um, and, and the sad thing is that as we all know, um, on that drug, the psychiatric one, it changes your physical appearance, mm-hmm. um, which also in turn has an effect on your, your self-esteem. And she felt like people were looking at her and judging her. Um, and she felt bad that she wasn't the Stevie she was before. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> As we all know, and she's gotten past it, of course, but we've all... I mean, the three of us have discussed how our meds have helped us put on some pounds. And mm-hmm. and it, it is a vicious circle. But, you know, the bottom line is your, your mental health needs to be in the right place. And if, if you're going to have a few extra pounds on you, who cares? As long as you're happy in your thought life, in your heart, in your mind and soul. That is the most important thing. And... Um, You know, so to me, to be able to go through all of this in the background and then, I mean, she, she did take a little hiatus when she was on that particular med, but she's come back strong. I mean, the woman is still making albums. And again, if I didn't say this before, the only woman in the rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. For for those, for those two things. Yeah. So, I mean, Wow. I mean, it's like she has been through a lot, um, you know, in her adult life, you know, and and actually risen above it. And, you know, the really neat thing is kind of like what we're doing. Like she is open about it. She talks about it. She's Mm -hmm. like, if if somebody offers you, 
you know, that, that drug, just start screaming and run because it's like the scariest thing. It's addiction in a bottle. Yeah. You know, take one as needed. So, you know, she has overcome a lot and continued to make music. Her voice is still beautiful to this day. Mm. I've only seen her, you know, three times, but (laughs) um, she to me is a very amazing person. And not to even mention, I just have to get this in here and I'll wrap it up, but her style. I love oh, her yeah. style. It's very unique. Oh yeah. Her voice is unique. The way she writes her, her music to me is very poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, you really have to kind of, I don't even want to say, listen for her. You almost have to feel it because mm-hmm. she speaks metaphorically. Yeah. She doesn't. Yeah. So everything with her is, to me, it's just pure poetry. And I just, it's beautiful. I, there's some of her songs that'll make me cry. Oh, sure. Because they're just so amazing. And um, and I have to tell you that, you know, um, yes, I listened to Fleetwood Mac when I was little, of course. But then when she started on her solo career, I mean, I remember the first one, Belladonna, that album. Mm-hmm. I got it. I Yes, I had the vinyl. That's yeah. how old I am. <laughs> and I listened to it a lot. and And it got me through a lot you know we've talked about music mm-hmm. is a big um healing component for me sure is yeah it helps us be able to get through mm-hmm. like there's always a singer that speaks to your heart you know what i mean um yeah an artist or mm-hmm. whatnot and and she's that for me so right. i have a lot of admiration and um and respect for her yeah she is definitely my favorite Okay, well, yeah, she sure is a one-of-a-kind type of an icon. Her, yeah. She will live forever in rock history. Yeah, that was excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you, thank Christy. You. All right, so we are on to John. All right, thank you. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my famous person also, like Gerard, is, is not a household name and maybe even doesn't really qualify as famous, although in the Buddhist world uh, he would be well-known uh, to readers. And uh, his name is Seijaku Roshi, and he's right from my uh, home state here in New Jersey. Um, oh. he, was, he was born as Clarence Reichenbach, and mm-hmm. uh, he changed his name um, when he became a Buddhist priest, and he founded the Pinewald Buddhist Center right here in a place that also Gerard is familiar with, Shemong, New Jersey. Oh, okay, yeah. Yes, and... Um, He's an American Zen master. Uh, he's also a parent. He's also a priest, an author, a blogger. He has been a keynote speaker. And he's considered a visionary pioneer in the principles of authentic spirituality for the 21st century. So Seijaku has been teaching publicly uh, since 1975 uh, at the request of his friends and students. And in 1985, he founded the Order of the Great Lights, the Zen Society, a nonprofit organization. And on 1993, he was acknowledged and installed by the community as abbot of Zizhou-An Monastery. Zizhou-An is a uh, is a type of teaching of Zen, and he was bestowed the title of Roshi during a formal ceremony in Riverton, New Jersey. So. After 45 years of teaching now, he's had hundreds of guests and friends and students have come to hear the Dharma, which is sacred teachings 
his dharma of loving kindness, compassion, and benevolent service. And um, he's also been an author. Uh, he wrote a book called Kokoro, The Heart Within, uh, a book about Zen Buddhism. And uh, he's been a regular speaker at religious institutions, uh, at public schools, at universities, uh, for corporations. And he's also gone um, to prisons and to veteran outreach programs. Um, awesome yeah yeah and uh you know really and at his center he's welcomes whoever wants to come to hear his teachings he's added everyone from you know students to tattoo artists to uh former prisoners and um he is very much um open to anyone who wants to come and uh some of his teachings um he, he speaks about um, the challenge us um, in this life. And he, and he says, we will need a spirituality grounded in the human heart rather than beliefs or ideals. One that cultivates the best in each of us, challenges us to function at the level of full self-expression and affirms the fundamental and immeasurable value of every human being. So he's not so much into the belief thing as he is into what is important to the human heart. And um, he tries to bring that over to the people that he, he talked to. And um, he was an incredible teacher. And um, then in 2018, uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer mm. and uh, pretty far along pancreatic cancer. And mm. he knew that he was dying. But this didn't stop him from teaching. And uh, from blogging every day. Wow. And um, he wrote, when you have cancer, you learn that feelings are important to the degree that you keep, that they help you in knowing what the body needs to protect itself. It is to this degree, I feel that personal feelings are to be understood and acted on skillfully and appropriately. His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, teaches, pain is inevitable Suffering is optional. As a form of matter, our bodies, like everything else in the universe, are always in flux. When we feel something odd or different, then the way we think should be feeling, the way we think we should be feeling, we immediately think there is something wrong with our lives. It's about that I have gratitude for another day not just another day, but a day again to spend with those I love and cherish. My daughter, he has a daughter named Katie, my remaining family, my fellow monks and community, and all the friends and supporters who surrounded me with their unique perfections and imperfections, which feed and help me heal day by day. Some of whom I may never see, yet I know that in a moment of tripping and falling, they will be there. And as he was Dying from the pancreatic cancer, he talked about his connections with relationships. Connections or relationships with others is primary for human beings and spiritual beings. Science again and again represents how the power of right relationship, loving relationships, committed relationships, rooted in right intention, and a genuine desire for the happiness and well-being of others go farther than any medication ever can so he stayed very positive even as he was dying 
from his pancreatic cancer. And sadly, he succumbed to his cancer just this last month in June 19th, oh, wow. which is what made me think about him for today. Oh, wow. Sure. Okay. Uh, so he was um, my first thought when you when Gerard suggested that we mm-hmm. do something about a famous person. And he was not a famous person. He right. was a good person. He was a teacher. He was, like you said, a father. And he loved his daughter. And he loved his students. And he taught about the human heart. And he taught about being happy every day that you have. And about, you know, as the Dalai Lama said, that you can just because you're in pain doesn't mean you have to suffer. And that's something that we talk about here when it comes to grief. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you're grieving doesn't mean you have to suffer. There's ways that you can understand your grief, work through your grief, go through the five stages, go through meditation. Um, he talks about um, what he does every day when he would get up, um, that he would do his chores he would meditate, he would teach his students, um, he would uh, have lived a very simple life. Uh, he says in the Jinzo An practices, emphasize, emphasizes the quiet illumination of meditation over the question and answer dynamics of Zen, which seek ecstatic epiphany. Um, instead, he teaches a message of self-awareness and authenticity, ideas he first encountered at the age of 12 when he found a copy of Seeds of Contemplation by the monk Thomas Merton. So, um, it says his days typically began at 6 a.m. with prayer and meditation, usually with a few monks and students daily duties and chores around the property, studying and teaching, ending with evening prayers and more meditation. And that was the way he chose to live his life. And he began, you know, as Clarence Rockenbach Mm -hmm. and ended up um, as Seijaku Roshi, um, as a person who was not afraid of death. And that's something that... um, all of us need to work on. Wow. So, um, excellent. Yes. So That's my, my, wow. um, my, my, uh, uh, I'm sorry, George, the, um, uh, the honorable mentions. Honorable list? mentions. Yeah. Yes. All right, right. I just have two people and I'm just going to say something very quick about them because they're the two people that we, that we all know about is, uh, one of them is Neil Peart, who's the extraordinary drummer mm. from Rush, who um, had a you know, tragedy in his life while he was doing, making incredible music. In 1997, in August, his daughter died in a car accident. Mm. Uh, she was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And then less than a year later, his wife died. Oh, my gosh. Um, and this had an extraordinarily uh, profound effect on him. He left the band on sabbatical for a little while. He drove on his motorcycle across Canada and um, sort of did a grieved on his own, sort of internalized uh, what had happened and didn't want to speak about it and took like a more uh, internal, intellectualized approach to it. And, uh, you know, didn't let himself spiral as far as I know, but he went on, you know, this literal 
journey and this, you know, uh, psychological journey at the same time and was able to overcome his grief, come back to the band and uh, continue to make extraordinary music, was able to recover from his grief. He married again. And um, and then unfortunately, uh, January of 2020, he himself died from cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, but he is, you know, someone who tragic blows right after the other and was able to yeah. survive and come back and thrive and is definitely um, a hero of mine. Sure. And the other one, my honorable mention very quickly is uh, Kathleen Turner, who, like myself, um, ah. has rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. uh, that she found out when she was 39. And she, she just said very quickly, that, you know, my body um, could excruciating pain that her joints and hands were swollen. She couldn't hold a pen. Her feet were so blown up mm. that she couldn't put on shoes. And oh. she took medication, which I understand, saying that made her, you know, fat. And that made her mm. face blown up. When I, which I'm sure she was taking steroids and mm. how she didn't tell anyone about it. So, the, you know, the, she was saying how the press were, were making fun of her and oh, snippy, making snippy terrible. remarks. And, that yeah. stinks. And I'm sure all of us kind of remember back to when that was happening in her yeah. early mm. 40s. And she, yeah. if she had maybe had told, you know, people what were going on, they might have been more um, short considerate. But she wanted oh, sure. to keep it a secret. Yeah. And I guess for her career's sake. Yeah. She was afraid possibly that people wouldn't hire her. And that's a shame, you know, that that there's yeah. still a, a stigma attached to there having is. a disease that mm-hmm. people don't understand. Because I'm sure if she said, oh, I have cancer, people would be completely, um, uh, oh, uh, just in, you know, complete um, empathetic uh, empathy for her, sympathy and everything. Mm-hmm. And it would be saying uh, what, a, what a hero she is fighting it and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. rheumatoid arthritis is so unknown. And so yeah. people don't know what it is. And she didn't want to say and so the, the, the meds are making her put on weight. And um, she took um, the brunt of that um, and, and had nothing to say in reply. And she um, was able to bounce back. She is still acting now. She is, um, I love her. She's, oh, yes. yes. She's awesome. And I think she's starting to do a series on one of the streaming services uh, very soon. Good. And um, so, she, you know, she had trouble. She went to alcohol to fight the um, the, 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 the pain that she mm-hmm. was feeling both oh. physically and the pain she was feeling from the press. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just very sad. But she mm-hmm. bounced back. She, she's off the alcohol. She's feeling better from medication and she's back in acting and I'm, I'm very proud of her. I look up oh, to her cool. as a, uh, someone that I can uh, look to as, uh, you know, someone that I can, you know, hope to uh, be myself. Yeah. Okay. okay. Right. And, that's, and that's what I have to say. And I'm excellent. And I stick with it. Thank you, John. <laughs> awesome. I mean, these are just people, you know, we want to see people mm-hmm. like this, uh, you know, rise to fame and, and maintain fame because, you know, especially when you know, we hear their stories and we mm-hmm. see the things that they've overcome in life, it's just part of, you know, what tells us we can do it too. It's mm-hmm. good when it's spotlighted, exactly. you know, and that's why it's, it's a shame that, you know, uh, John, uh, your person and my person are not really household names because they should be. Yeah, more should. people should know about what they've gone through. I mean, we've dealt with, with our, our three people that we've talked about. You've got illnesses, You've got addiction. You've got oppression. These are very difficult things to mm-hmm. have to deal with. Yeah. Um, you know, just to, to say this is, 
go through this just real quick about Wangari Matai as, as quickly as I can. You know, having to go through what she went through, she had to fight against uh, President Daniel Moy, who was the Kenyan president for a long time. He was in, in power for 24 years, and he had been vice president for about 10 years prior to that or so. Uh, he was serving under President Kenyatta, who died, and then he took over as, pres as president, and he consolidated his power as quickly as he could. And he banned opposition parties and uh, you know, promoted his countrymen to positions of authority, curried favor with the army, and that proved they proved loyal to him in supporting a coup attempt, uh, suppressing a coup attempt in uh, 1982. It's really a lot to go up against. You know, I mean, from her husband at one time saying she was too educated, too strong, too successful, too stubborn, too hard to control, to claims of rumor mongering and treason from President Moy. It's just a dramatic example of what happens when people who uh, defend the environment clash with repressive governments and repre repressive mindsets. It's authoritarianism at its finest. Mm -hmm. And women were just supposed to be quiet and Correct. let men rule. Mm -hmm. So how do you get anywhere and make progress under those kinds of conditions? Mm -hmm. You know, you just you you become, yeah, sure. you become a thorn in the side of an administration like that and revolutionize the act of protest. That's why I'm so inspired by her, because the odds were stacked against her and uh, she went through more struggles than most. And uh, she kept going and eventually got what she, you know, she, she got to what she wanted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's amazing. And all, all of the people that we chose really had to fight against things that many people lose against. Mm. You're right. Yeah. That's a very good point. I mean, even look at you speaking about women in the environment. Uh, look at uh, Greta Thunberg, the, uh, mm -hmm. the teenage autistic girl who is mm -hmm. um, fighting for the environment all over. And so many people say to tell her, you know, just shut up and, yeah. and go back Aww. to school and do, you know, and she's doing she's making remarkable strides mm -hmm. in uh, converting people and inspiring people, especially right. to uh, follow the cause. Aww. And yeah. she's this teenage girl. She's on the autism spectrum, but she's mm. amazingly high. Yes, she she's is. just remarkable, a remarkable girl. Yeah. You know, and look at Malayla, the uh, Pakistani girl who uh, yeah. fights for education for women. Yes. Um, she is a fantastic inspiration for around the world. And she talks mm -hmm. at the UN and she speaks around the world and she has her own foundation that I that people, ha you know, uh, donate to. And I've mm -hmm. donated to myself and she just does amazing work. And she is another one that people want her to just shut up, you know, yeah. because she's a woman and she's being right. uh, uppity, you know, and she's just right. not should not be doing what she is doing mm -hmm. but you have these three women out there that are doing amazing things or and, well, right. the one was yes right yes. and think about 50 years from now with the two that you just mentioned what mm -hmm. what their lives are going to have going to look like what they're going to have accomplished mm -hmm. yeah they're, yeah. they're going to be on these lists. I mean, they already belong Absolutely. on them anyway, but mm -hmm. they're, they're going to be on a lot, a lot more people's minds. But uh, when yeah. that kind of time passes. Yes. And, you know, to, to go back to uh, just real quick, I want to talk about what Christy was bringing up about uh, Klonopin mm -hmm. uh, addiction uh, with Stevie Nicks. I was on that drug for mm -hmm. a short period of time, not eight years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it what I want to say about it is I think I mentioned it before. It was so tough to get off of it. And I was only on it for a handful of months, but I think oh I mentioned like sweating yeah. and shaking and palpitations Ooh. and brain zapping and all kinds of craziness. Yeah, that yeah. was that was no good for me. Oh, that is no good. Yeah, I'm glad, I didn't, st yeah, I'm glad I didn't stay on it for, for much either. longer. That's scary. It is very scary. 
but this was this was an important one. I, I like mm -hmm. that we did this one. Everybody did yeah, a great too. job. It was like we all just had to do a book report. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of felt like. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it sure did. Uh, but we, we need this inspiration in the world. We, you know, this is what fuels us. This is what helps us get through our days. And uh, we may not think about these people all the time, but when they do, we've got a lot to turn to for, for the inspiration we need. That's true. Yeah. And everyone needs of inspiration. Course from somewhere, you know. Of course. Mm -hmm. So does uh, anyone have anything else they'd like to add? Uh, no. I'm no, good. good. Yeah, yeah. We, I think we did a pretty good job there, right? Yeah, yes. it was pretty Excellent. nice. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, it was, was very fantastic. Good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. All right. So um, we're going to keep uh, going strong and holding on to our, our inspirations wherever they come from. So I'll just say in closing, uh, you know, we did this podcast to highlight the power of inspiration, no matter where it comes from. And it's not only about the people that we talked about, it's about ourselves too. It's about all of us. So understand that you can be an inspiration to others, no matter what you feel you have or have not achieved. Even if you feel you have not yet reached the end point, and even if you feel you have reached the low point, you still have the ability to inspire. So do that, like they did. And you'll be amazed at how it makes you feel. It's really a very important thing to be able to do while you are on your path from grief to greatness. So keep going strong and uh, get out there and uh, inspire and be inspired, everyone. So thank you for tuning in, and we will see you again next week.